Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patient Access Pulse, a podcast brought to you by Pelotas. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the show. As a reminder, if you miss us live, you can always catch us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're watching this for the first time, you can go back and listen to some of the previous episodes that we've done there as well, as well as visit the Pelotas website for more. On today's episode, we're tackling a very important topic, and that is surprise billing and patient access. Specifically, we'll be diving into the CMS No Surprises Act, and as always, we have two fantastic guests here with us today. First, we have Leslie Pierce. She's the Senior Vice President at Methodist Health System. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we're joined once again by Stephen Huddleston. He is the President and CEO of Pelotas. Stephen, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Glad to be here. It is a thrill to have both of you along with us here today. So, Leslie, let's start off here. Let's dive into something that's obviously having a, a large impact on the healthcare industry, the CMS No Surprises Act. Just give us a bird's eye view of what we need to know and, and what this act is going to require. So, I think, you know, overall the act is um, a positive one in terms of uh, preparation for our patients and providing our patients with information and increasing their patient experience with our facilities and others. Um, I do think it is going to be very difficult for uh, revenue cycle teams across the nation to implement this act, um, not because they don't want to, but because there are a lot of individual players uh, who have their own silos and their own processes, and we're trying to marry all of those silos and processes together. Um, so that should be interesting. I think uh, revenue cycle teams are going to have to become very close to their payer partners and we're going to have to work through handoffs that we haven't worked on before or realized that we needed to work on before. So it's going to be a real interesting time for revenue cycle. Silo busting can be uh, it can be tough work sometimes. That's that's for sure. Stephen, uh, anything you want to follow up on, just on what people need to know about the CMS No Surprises Act? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with uh, everything that Leslie said in terms of it's absolutely the right uh, thing for patients and consumers, but. Uh, uh, ground zero of uh, really compliance with this falls on patient access, so it's putting a heavy burden on an already burdened patient access function and uh, uh, lots of things still to be worked out in terms of confirmation of the act and uh, what the ultimate requirements are. So speaking of patient access, what are some of the primary concerns that you have from the patient access and revenue cycle perspectives? So I think for, for me, it's taking an act that is written at um, a PhD level and bringing that PhD level act down to um, individuals who may have a high school diploma and or um, college credit and making it operational to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think um, as we start to prepare for that, there's so much information that you, you have to grid it off, you have to um, support your team, you have to educate, re-educate, build tools and processes so that they don't have to think about what to do with the next step. And so using your, um, using your EMRs, using your tech um, technology to do that is what we are going to have to rely on to make this successful. 
Yeah, I, you know, one thing I'll add to that, Leslie mentioned uh, that patient access really has to become experts at understanding their payer relationships. One of the biggest components of the, uh, of the No Surprises Act is understanding who's out of network and who's in network not only for the facility, but the ancillary providers that uh, make up some of the emergent uh, services that patients uh, afford, and that's gonna be a very, very heavy lift for a lot of providers. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Leslie, how is Methodist approaching these, these changes? What, what sorts of approaches are you taking to, um, you know, to, to, to implement all of these things? So, we formed a steering committee early on to um, work on how we would execute this at Methodist. Um, that steering committee is made up of physicians, uh, our patient access leadership teams, our billing leadership teams, um, as well as our marketing team so that we can get marketing data out to our um, consumers uh, via website, via um, disclosures, posted disclosures. Um, so that's the first step of that. The second step has been to develop um, processes within our organization so that we can hand off um, our eligibility responses and understand what those eligibility responses mean and develop um, a grid that will help us um, understand who's in network, who's out of network. Um, and then to apply that in-network, out-of-network response to the appropriate consent, the appropriate disclosure, the appropriate notice, and the appropriate estimate. And so we've been really busy building uh, out the CMS disclosures, the CMS notices that they've posted for us, um, because we feel like why recreate the wheel? This is the data that they wanted to have. So we've tried to, in turn, operationalize that into our process. Uh, in addition, um, we have done a lot of work around our estimate forms, our estimate templates. We, we chose to do two templates, one for our uninsured good faith estimate and one for our insurance uh, business line, whether they're in network or out of network and then built um, our consents for out-of-network insurance um, to coincide with our estimate. So we've been really, really busy over the last several months preparing to go live on January 1st. Excellent stuff. And you mentioned earlier that need to bring things down from a PhD level down and kind of disseminate that information out uh, to people with, with varying degrees of, of educational background. Where does the burden of that type of work fall? You know, the burden of that falls on the hospital and also on our partners um, in our vendors mm -hmm. because they're trying to disseminate and to understand what those regulations mean. We're trying to disseminate and understand what the regulations mean. And then hopefully we can bring that partnership together and determine what our next steps are and where we need you know, lift from a technology perspective and where we need lift from internal to educate our team members. Um, you know, one example of that is putting together some really quick um, reference cards for our teams so that if they forget what step they need to take with a patient, they have a very quick uh, reference card available to them at their desk. 
Um, and then an, a second example would be, you know, partnering with our our vendor to our tech vendor to help us with our estimates to make sure that they're all um, executed appropriately, that they have the right disclaimers on them, and we're ready to you know ready to roll and provide that to patients come January one. So Stephen, that puts some some burden a little bit on on Pelotas as well. Tell us about that and the the efforts that you're taking there. Yeah, so uh, like Leslie, we've been uh, we've been planning and thinking about the impact to our providers and how we can leverage our software to do just some of the things that Leslie's talking about. So as we talked about, and identifying the in and out of network is obviously very key here. Uh, the eligibility responses that are coming back today from uh, the clearinghouses don't uh, clearly identify in and out of network. So we've been thinking about how we partner with our providers to do that. And, uh, you know, the other things Leslie talked about, um, the patients that uh, may not have been notified or given the proper notification for the out-of-network, the good faith estimate as well. We've been building that into our suite, so uh, we're ready now uh, to help providers really maintain the compliance that they've been struggling with using both our uh, patient responsibility estimator and our virtual intake management suite, especially for those scheduled patients uh, where the notification will be required and a good faith estimate as well. And Stephen mentioned compliance. Compliance is going to be really key and is important for this act. And I, I think one of the things that I would encourage all revenue cycle leaders to think about is how can you make yourself as compliant as possible? Mm -hmm. um, because a $10,000 fine per occurrence is pretty steep and we see a lot of patients every day. So we certainly don't want to incur that extra expense related to caring for our patients, especially when we all know that we're here to do the right thing by the patient. Um, that's the most important part. Everything else works itself out when you put the patient first. Um, so I think that is one of Methodist red rules, I guess, is to always put our patient first, think about it from a patient perspective and make sure that we gear it to that point. And then secondarily to that, making sure that we have a really strong, you know, education process for our team members because they're required to, to know a lot about everything related to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, they're not a nurse, they're not a physician, but they are the backbone of everything that goes on in a, in a hospital. And so we wanna make sure they're ready uh, to go as well. Absolutely, absolutely. As a reminder, if you're joining us live this morning, you can ask questions of our guests. And so if you have a question, if there's something that you want clarification on, you can drop it into the comment section there on the right-hand side of your screen. And at the end of the broadcast today, we'll try to answer as many questions as we can. Obviously, you talked about the importance of the patient experience and the importance of taking care of patients. What sorts of things and what sorts of steps do you think need to be taken to make sure that you are highlighting the patient experience, but also amplifying and enhancing it as much as possible? So make sure you remember to post your disclosures in prominent places. Um, some examples of those would be in your emergency room, in your registration areas, make it um, so that it is legible to your patients and they um, can't miss the communication that you're trying to provide. Also make sure that you're targeting 
um, pre-registering and scheduling your patients in advance. Um, we've been working on that as an industry for a long time. Some of us are better, better than others, um, but that's something that this act is gonna force us to do. There are time constraints um, within the act itself to uh, presenting that estimate and presenting that communication to the patient. So the, the farther out you can work your scheduled business um, and provide pre-registration services and communication to that patient before they arrive, the better off you're gonna be as you move forward with the No Surprise Act. Hmm. Stephen, any follow-up on that? Yeah, the, uh, the only thing I'd add uh, to that, and you know, Leslie's uh, summarized it really well, making it easy uh, on the staff is gonna be really, really important. Staff's already heavily burdened last year's price transparency uh, regulations. This coming new, uh, and a lot of uh, providers like Leslie are opting towards digital experience uh, to leverage patients' ability to use uh, their smartphones or other devices. So really keeping that in mind and making sure that's built into a compliance plan here makes it easier on the staff and ultimately easier on the patients as well. Compliance is obviously a big thing for, for Pelotas as well, and we've talked a little bit about this, but, but Pelotas can play a big role in helping organizations remain compliant as well, right? Correct. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we begin to wrap up this broadcast here today, unless we get some for, further questions from our audience, um, I want to give each of you the opportunity to give us any final thoughts, uh, anything that you want to leave our listeners and viewers with here today as it relates to the CMS No Surprises Act. So Leslie, Anything that you want to leave people with, uh, either a summary statement or something that we haven't touched on yet that you think is important for people to know? Sure. I, I would encourage you, if you haven't already started, it's not too late. You still have a few weeks. Um, but I think there are four primary areas that you really need to focus on um, to be compliant with Part 1 of the Two-Part Act. Um, I think the two-part act is still up for debate and discussion, so we may get a few surprises in the next couple of weeks that we have to iron out. But the part one pieces are, are present, they're approved, and we can assume that those are going forward on January 1. So be prepared by ensuring that you have your disclosures posted, ensuring that uh, you train your staff on who um, is when the Balanced Billing Act is applicable and to whom within your organization. So is it an emergency room patient? Is it a post-stabilization patient? Is it a non-emergent patient? And then applying your good faith estimates and your consents and notices appropriately based on those classes of individuals in your organization. If you do those things, uh, you're going to at least um, be closely compliant with part one and part two, we're, we'll all be there together learning um, and getting ready to implement that in the future. And Stephen? Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is uh, just going back to understanding your payer uh, contracts relationships. Again, it's not only uh, important to understand the hospital contracts, but those ancillary providers who 
uh, provide emergency services or services that fall under the act. So working with, if you've got outside anesthesiology groups, radiology groups, uh, hospitalists, uh, really understanding uh, those relationships and their contracts as well uh, to ultimately be able to comply with a good faith estimate. So we do have a question from the audience, and the, audi the audience has asked, what is one thing that you would suggest to CMS to tweak in order to improve the regulations? What would you say, Leslie? I, I think CMS should help facilitate the um, conversations between the providers of service and our payers. Um, the dispute resolution process and the median payment um, that is outlined in the regulation is going to be um, a contentious event for those in the healthcare industry um, because the providers don't understand how the payers are calculating that and the payers don't understand really how the providers work either. And so if that's going to be a mandate that we have from CMS, I don't think any of us are going to dispute the mandate. We would just like some help in, in ensuring that we can all come to the table, we can all provide information around that dispute resolution process, and that we all understand how that payment methodology is going to um, transpire. So that, that's probably the one area that I would say CMS needs to, to step up and help us with. Sure. Stephen, anything you'd add to that? No, I agree with Leslie. You know, one other suggestion I might add is uh, uh, the, the No Surprises Act really puts the onus on the provider. Uh, I'd like to see CMS uh, evolve it so that the payers have uh, some skin in the game, especially on the eligibility responses to identify who is in and out of network. That would be a big relief for the provider. Broadcast Leslie Pierce and Stephen Huddleston, thank you both so much for joining us here on this broadcast today and for uh, giving us some insights into the CMS No Surprises Act. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another live edition of Patient Access Pulse, a podcast from Pelotas. We appreciate it very much. Of course, like I mentioned before, if you miss any episodes, you want to go back and check out some of the previous episodes that we have. You can go to Apple or Spotify there to, uh, to check out the podcast. And you can always stay tuned and stay up to date with the latest episodes from Pelotas. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my fantastic guests today, Leslie Pierce and Stephen Huddleston, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.